Welcome to Idle Chatter, brought to you by the Machinery Digest, where steel and soil meet. A weekly podcast by a New Jersey farmer to all farmers and ranchers across this great nation. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Regardless of the crop you grow or the livestock you raise, we all have one thing in common. Agriculture runs on passion, sweat, tears, and machinery. And that is why the Machinery Digest exists. A no-nonsense, grease-under-your-fingernails educational website. It was created to provide a transfer of knowledge so that you can maintain, service, and most importantly, understand today's complex farm equipment. My name is Ray Bohax and I farm too. It is time now to get under the sheet metal. Hello my friends and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm Ray Bohax, your host, the Hot Rod Farmer, and just returned from Commodity Classics, so I'm going to take a couple of minutes and tell you about that. But first, I want to tell you what today's show is about. Over the years, and even while I was working the Firestone booth at Commodity Classic, probably um, the most amount or the gr- highest amount of of inquiries I get with people having problems with engines is related to finding fuel, be it gasoline or diesel, but predominantly diesel fuel in the engine oil. So that is exactly what we're going to be discussing on today's show. Fuel in the oil, how it gets there, the problems it causes, and what you need to do to correct it. So hopefully uh, you don't have fuel in your oil or ever have fuel in your oil. Uh, That's a lot like the Strategic Air Command. Years ago they used to say that if they never fired or shot, their mission was completed. And after listening to this show today, and if you never get fuel in your oil, the mission is completed. But let me tell you a little bit about Commodity Classic for those that were not able to attend. It was a great, great, great event. I had an absolute ball. I met so many people that uh, listened to the podcast or uh, read informa- read uh, my website or read me in Successful Farming Magazine or watch me on a Successful Farming TV show and uh, believe it or not even had people that read me in the car magazines so uh, plus a lot of people that I had never met before so as they say you know uh, come come to the Firestone booth as strangers and leave as friends so it was wonderful and the show was so dynamic it was so upbeat it was it was just great I was very 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 excited about it the uh the attendees were all very very upbeat they uh they were engaging they wanted to come into the booths and talk about tires talk about firestone is now really starting to get involved with the replacement track market for track track machines rubber tracks and uh a lot of people shared a lot of uh things about what's going on in their farm what's going on with their equipment and just had a great, great, great time. And what was very positive also was that so many people are making investments in their farm. And they invest, they're talking about investing in new equipment or just recently purchased new equipment and or uh, upgrading tires, going to a uh, an AD2 uh, technology, a uh, IF and VF type of tire for reduced compaction. So it's just, it was just 
fantastic. I love to see farmers having faith in their business, faith in the in, in their industry, and faith in America. And that's really what we saw at Commodity Classic this year. And uh, I just want to thank Firestone for having this uh, poor dry land farmer from New Jersey going elbow to elbow with him. And right across from our booth, uh, I'm saying our booth like it was mine, right? He <laughs> put uh, from Firestone's booth were my good friends at Agro Liquid Fertilizer. And they had uh, just a ton of people going through there. And I would talk to them in, when there was the occasional little low or before the show floor opens. As an exhibitor, you could obviously get near before the show floor opens. And that's when you're able to talk to people and, and get around. Because uh, on a good year like it was this year at the show, I was not able to leave the booth. And neither were the folks at AgroLiquid. And they had a lot of excitement there. People are realizing the value of high-efficiency fertilizer. You know, it's a lot like my uh, my show I did a while back about volumetric efficiency. So they have high volumetric efficiency fertilizer. And I believe that they have a new product that, because I'm an AgroLiquid customer, so that's why I'm so excited. Uh, they have a new product. I think they call it EX, which is 10 micros all in one. And Dr. Jerry Wilm was uh, talking to me about it. He's a great guy. So uh, so everybody I spoke to, as far as the exhibitors, the people I was able to interact with, either on the bus going back and forth to the convention center or at the hotel uh, or any place in between, had the same takeaway. It was a great show, and farming is alive in America. Agriculture is alive, and we are strong, and we're going to be coming on stronger. So thank you to all who attended and stopped by to see me at Firestone. And uh, thank you to all my new friends. But what we're going to do today, as I said, we need to discuss what happens when fuel gets into engine oil. And fuel and engine oil is a common problem, but it's a lot like a, a disease in your cornfield or let's or any field, let's say any crop, unlike SDS and soybeans, which shows up very quickly, and then you come in the field the next day or two and you have CDSDS, sudden death syndrome. But historically, fuel gets into the oil over time, and that is a very bad thing to happen, and simply why? Because fuel, gasoline or diesel, completely destroys the lubricity of the engine oil and whenever you have fuel diluted oil not only does it change the viscosity and if anybody did not listen to last week's show about engine oils you could check that out it's uh, up on all the networks that host me it's on my website it's on the Fran network carbon media apple itunes and it's important for you to understand viscosity. And I'm only doing this this show today. It's not it's not like a A B. With other words, last week oil, and this uh, and this week about um, fuel dilution. It's because they so many people brought it up at Commodity Classic, and I felt that it's really something that needs to be addressed. And I've I always wanted to address it, but it wasn't on my this week's list to do. But after being at the show and having two or three people ask me about fuel and the oil. I felt that this was uh, imperative for me to cover this now. And today's special delivery segment has its roots in Commodity Classic also. A nice couple, I believe, that they were from uh, Oklahoma, 
but I may be wrong. You meet so many people, and I can remember their faces, and I always like to look where their farm or ranch is from so I could learn more about it. Because I'm a, I'm a frustrated Charles Kuralt. I love to travel the back roads of America, so I like to find out exactly where they are. And oftentimes, I have gone maybe not past their farm, but very close to it on some back road sojourn. And But they were asking me about a catastrophic air conditioner failure that they suffered in their combine and the extremely expensive repair and what I think happened or what I up to that so that is going to be today's special delivery segment at the end of the show so let's get into fuel dilution in the oil now we have to look at what the purpose of oil is in an engine its purpose is obviously common sense would say to be a lubricant and as a lubricant that means what it does it reduces friction between moving parts and the way it reduces friction between moving parts is to create a boundary layer so it has a layer of oil that sits between the two moving parts and in an engine historically there's some some type of metal or aluminum or steel so the oil is going to be create a layer of film between those moving parts and one of the main areas where you need to be concerned with that is is with the crankshaft main bearings and with the rod bearings every area that the oil touches is obviously important but the most detriment would happen with the crankshaft mains and connecting rod bearings along with the camshaft bearings the cam has camshaft has bearings uh if you didn't know except if as an aside in case you go on jeopardy unless it is a uh, a cummins uh, a cummins 5.9 and maybe the 6.7 that i don't know but there's a there's a few engines but the cummins b series that was found in the dodge pickup trucks and other applications in small and farm equipment uh, the earlier versions did not have a cam bearing. So in case you go on Jeopardy and Alex Trebek asks you a question, you would know. And I don't honestly know whether they're using a cam bearing now. And there may be some other engines out there that do not use a cam bearing. That they have a machine surface and the cam rides in there and then the oil creates a film and lifts the camshaft up off of the surface, the journal where it's riding without a traditional type of Babbitt style or uh, bearing. So the camshaft comes into play. The the cylinder walls, because the uh, the piston obviously has is lubricated where it slides and the rings slide on the cylinder wall. So that needs oil, and the valve train needs oil, and everything through the whole engine needs oil. But predominantly, the most stress on the oil is with the cam with the not camshaft, the connecting rod bearings and the main bearings and those are the areas that would usually fail first from or have the most uh, accelerated wear with fuel diluted oil so the purpose of the oil is to create a slipperiness or lubrication between the moving parts to keep the moving parts from touching one another so it supports it it holds it up just like air holds up um, holds up the rim off the tire on with a pneumatic tire be it a car truck bicycle what have you 
Right, so when the tire goes flat, what happens? The rim compresses the rubber sidewall of the tire, and then the tire actually rides on the rubber, and in very short order, it will cut the rubber, and the rim itself will be touching the ground or whatever it's riding on. All right, so that's the other purpose of the oil. And the third purpose of the oil is to act as a coolant. And people really don't think of oil as a coolant. They think of it as... Uh, as just a, a lubricating factor and on some engines the oil becomes what is called a working fluid it acts like a hydraulic fluid on any engine that has a some sort of hydraulic valve lifter then the oil is acting as a hydraulic or working fluid and if the engine has has a uh, if, if sorry for that lapse there my voice was going away it always seems to go away when I do these these shows because I have sinus issues and then when I get excited and I talk fast and uh, try to project my voice starts to go away so excuse me for that pause but the um, the oil works as a hydraulic fluid in the valve lifter if it has a hydraulic valve lifter and in some engines that have variable cam timing then the oil the engine oil works as a hydraulic fluid to move the phase of that camshaft and maybe one day we'll actually do a show on variable cam timing uh, so that you can understand why it's there and what it does so basically in essence the oil is a lubricant it's a barrier all right it is a it is a it is a working fluid and it is a coolant and how it works as a coolant is that it takes just like antifreeze wood or water in a water jacket the oil since it moves through the engine when it comes in contact with the part and is it is there is a friction there or a lack of friction the movement and the oil gets compressed then it acts as a coolant because it's constantly having fresh oil go through those parts and in some engines which is very common today in agriculture and in most modern engines the bottom of the piston is cooled through oil so there's an actually an oil jet usually in the connecting rod small end and it will shoot and spray oil to the bottom of the piston crown, the underside of the piston crown, and then that oil will drop back down into the pan, and that, and when it comes in contact, because the oil will be cooler than the piston, and then heat goes from hot to cold, it'll remove some heat. And on the main bearings and on the crankshaft bearings, the theory today is to flood the bearing with oil. So it's a high-volume, low-pressure oiling system, and they want to flood and keep pushing a lot of oil through there to have it remove a lot of to remove a lot of heat and to have always have fresh oil there fresh meaning that it was not ex exposed to the thermal expansion of the elements that are in that particular region and keep flooding fresh oil through there so that is why uh, they use high volume low oil pressure systems today they do not need as i said in the previous show last week the industry found out how to make oil better just like we found out how to be better farmers they found out how to make oil better and what they do is that through the chemical composition of the oil and the re advanced refining procedure they found that they could have a low viscosity oil that could hold the cylinder pressure of today's modern engines and deal with the heat without breaking down and losing those uh, attributes 
So the thing is that the oil is basically the lifeblood of the engine. We've all heard that before, and there's no reason to to uh, change that statement because it is 100% true. It is the lifeblood of the engine. And in a nutshell, when you dilute engine oil with a fuel, gasoline or diesel, as I said, I'll keep repeating that because they're both the same, what it does is that it decreases the oil's ability to do everything it is intended to do and for lack of better terms in lay person's terms it gets watered down so it becomes a very very from being an excellent lubricant it becomes a very very poor lubricant and because of that there is excessive wear in all areas of the engine but the place to, that usually first goes out or fails and you'll see it is the main bearings and then the rod bearings and you are usually greeted with that uh its arrival is announced to you by a knock inside the engine and if it's very rhythmic it's usually a rod bearing and if it's if it's more constant it is usually a main bearing but you will get a knock inside the engine you'll see the oil pressure drop off and why you see the oil pressure drop off is because of the excessive wear from the from the journal of the bearing and the bearing itself so that area opens up and increases and that there is no longer an oil wedge there and the engine will start to knock and the bad part about it is that will also put that bearing material if it doesn't get caught by the filter it'll put that bearing material throughout the whole engine so this is not a good deal all right this basically is akin to uh, 60 mile an hour straight line winds coming into your uh, cornfield at v10 so this is not a good deal there's nothing good about it Alrighty. so let's talk about diesel engines first i as i said in the beginning i get a lot of correspondence and a lot of questions to me as a matter of fact two or three people at least uh, came up to me at the Firestone booth at Commodity Classic and with a whole array of equipment. One guy had a skid steer loader. He was a, uh, he, he was, he is a dairy farmer, not past tense, he is dairy farming. And he used it to clean the barns. I think another person came up to me with a, uh, a larger tractor and maybe somebody came up with a sprayer or a combine or something else in between. And they said to me, they're having fuel in the oil, diesel fuel in the oil. And what do you think the problem is? Well, whenever you have diesel fuel in your oil, and then later on we'll talk about gasoline, when you have diesel fuel in your oil, you have to place your lock homes. And the first step that you need to do is get that, don't use that engine, and get that oil out of that engine along with the oil filter. So once it is determined that you have any fuel dilution of the engine oil, you gotta dump that oil and get it out of there because we need to put oil in that engine that will be able to support those five things that we spoke about. So you wanna so what you want to uh, stop that excessive wear almost immediately once it is recognized. Now what I suggest to you as an aside because you cannot anticipate when fuel is going to start to get into the oil because it is from a leak that started someplace. And five minutes before, it may not have 
been leaking, and then it started to leak. Just like riding, going down the road and riding over a nail on pop, putting a hole in a tire. 30 seconds before you ran over the nail, the tire was not leaking. 30 seconds later, it's starting to go flat. So the first thing I want you to do is every time that you check the oil on any engine, any engine could be a lawnmower, air-cooled engine, always smell the dipstick. And if you you want to smell a dipstick, and if you want to take it then and put rub the oil through your fingers so you could feel its slipperiness and its viscosity how how it will work interact between the two moving your two moving fingers so now a telltale sign of an engine that is leaking fuel into the oil is some guy will say man this is a great engine never uses any oil okay that's good it's very possible that you have no oil consumption without any leak without any fuel leaking into it but he'll tell you that it makes oil and whenever you're making oil in an engine you know darn well that it's leaking fuel into the crankcase somehow no engine is going to make oil on its own so whenever anything your your car lawnmower anything tractor whatever it may be always smell the oil when you check the oil if you're running the machine hard you're probably checking it every day pull a dipstick right smell the oil rub it between your fingers this way you'll have what we call empirical data and empirical data means that real world data that you have that you have been able to uh, quantify or put a value to so let's say you're going into the spring which is kind of hard to believe because i got a foot of snow yesterday but anyway uh we're going into spring and let's say you're doing some 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 tillage uh or you're doing any type of field work and you're going to check the oil every day on that tractor whenever you check it even though that oil is brand new it's only been in there for 10 hours or something pull the dipstick you check it this morning smell it finger test very very simple takes you two seconds and then once you start to and uh, if you ever start to have the oil feel become less uh, have less lubricity i should say it's kind of hard to put that sentence together that becomes less slippery between your fingers is probably a better way for me to say it where you start to smell some fuel in there then we need to really stop and see what is going on right so that is the first thing now what's going to happen is that your nose is only so much of an indicator so it's akin to looking at a crop going down the road at 60 miles an hour and trying to identify a nutrient deficiency and once you're able to see it from the road you know it's pretty bad so it is a good idea and i'm jumping around here but we'll put it all together at the end it is a good idea probably halfway through the oil's life cycle so let's say you have a you're doing 100 hours or 150 hours or something on oil changes or 200 hours whatever you're doing i know some of the new john deere equipment i believe has a 500 hour oil change so obviously you're not going to go crazy with this because you're going to smell it and feel it with your fingers but probably 
when you're using the equipment under its full load, you may want to pull an oil sample halfway or three-quarters of the way through its change interval and send it to a laboratory if you suspect something. If you don't suspect something, then just keep going. You don't have to do it. You go into your normal analysis uh, schedule, which may be once a year for that piece of equipment, or twice a year. So I don't want you, don't I don't want you to interpret this as saying, well, every 50 hours or something, you have to stop the machine and pull an oil sample and send it to the lab. I'm not saying that, but if you start to suspect something, you may want to pull a sample. And uh, if it's an extended oil change, for instance, like the new John Deere stuff, then you would probably want to do that halfway through that cycle. But how does the fuel get in the oil? So this is where, as I was saying a minute or two ago, you have to play Sherlock Holmes. So let's say, God forbid, you determine you don't like the way this oil feels or this oil smells or you really couldn't quantify much on the feel and the smell but the oil level is higher than it was yesterday now a large diesel engine on the farm has quite a bit of oil capacity so you could put three or four percent fuel into it dilution and you may not be able to truly smell it because the oil has some some particulate matter and some blow by from the engine and what have you and it kind of masses smells and you really couldn't feel that much with your finger test that's very crude it's not a laboratory test but you said geez you know yesterday the uh the oil level, I'm making this up as, an, as a qualifier, was on the L of the full, the first L, F-U-L. And now, today, after working all day in the field, the next morning, it's on the second L. Well, obviously, something got into that pan, so it's either coolant or it's oil, and that's not good either way. But, I'm not, not coolant, excuse me, it's either coolant or it's fuel, and I said oil, and that's not good either way. So, if you do detect this, you have to study the engine and identify where the fuel could get into the oil. And on most instances on a diesel engine, whether it's an older one or a newer tiered engine, there are not as many places that the fuel could get into the oil as you would think. The whole problem being it's usually very hard to accurately diagnose which area it is. So if the engine has a mechanical lift pump that runs off the camshaft or runs off of some sort of eccentric ala like an older gasoline engine uh, through the engine block, then if the diaphragm is leaking inside that lift pump on every up and down motion of that diaphragm, it will squirt a little oil, a little oil, a little fuel directly into the crankcase and dilute the oil. So that is one area where you could go into it. And I'm just giving you generics, but you have to study your particular diesel engine. And you have to see where fuel can interact with oil. Obviously, it can't interact with oil with the water pump because there's no oil there. But it could interact with the oil through the lift pump. The other area it could interact with is some engines have an injection pump that is... Well, they all have them. They all have them lubricated some way, shape, or form. But it could have injection pump seal leaking that is putting fuel into the crankcase. And also, most diesel engines have a fuel return line, especially if it's an inline engine. They have the feed line to the injectors and nozzles, whether it's a uh, 
a tier four style or an older one pump line nozzle system and they have usually have the fuel return line going through the cylinder head and then exiting back out to the fuel tank or wherever it may go to be recycled usually it's usually it's the fuel tank and if that line cracks someplace in that cylinder head and what i mean by in that cylinder head usually it's not it, it may be they may have a a, a, a rifle drilled a gun drilled passage that the line goes through or it may be just sitting inside the cylinder head underneath the valve by the valve train where they just physically run the line there akin to like a brake line where it's just running through there but if that line cracks over time from vibration and thermal cycling hot to cold hot to cold it will leak the return fuel back into the crankcase and if it's since it's return fuel the engine in most instances will run fine and you will not be able to identify this in fuel usage because it's just dripping into the um, oil pan so that is a very common area and then also then again depending upon the engine design is lots of uh lots of times either the injector could be dripping fuel or the cup that the injector sits in based upon the style of engine so i'm using the term cup because it is generic that that could have a crack in it and allowing the end the uh fuel to leak into the engine oil and also you could have a cracked injector now on a smaller engine like a light duty engine like a in a pickup truck specifically the gm duramaxes the earlier ones had problems with the injectors cracking and actually leaking fuel into the oil so what you need to do is you need to identify the number of places in your particular engine where fuel can interface or interact is a better word with the engine oil now that is easier said than done it's easy to identify the areas but how can we go and tell where the leak site is with a flat tire you could look around for a nail or a screw or what have you and if you can't find it you could put a lot you could put air in a tire and put it in a water tank and look for the bubbles well you can't really do that in most instances with a diesel engine so a very good tool for you to invest in and to have and usually the impetus for you getting it is that you do have some fuel in the oil is a dye kit with a black light and what would happen is that this dye comes with a little bottle of dye and you would put that into the fuel tank and then you would run the engine and you would use this black light and the black light will usually shows up usually creates a green it's almost like a magna flux for a cracked block but it's using a black light instead of magnetic uh, and metal shavings and the black light will show you where the leak site is and that is very very important because otherwise you're going to be guessing now i'm going to put a caveat a caveat on that that is much easier said than done already because these engines are not things are not readily accessible and you have to know you have to recall remember that diagnosing whether it's for a piece of machinery whether it's for an animal whether it's for a crop or whether it's for a human being is that people have 
the wrong idea of diagnostics. And a while back, I did a show on that about differential diagnosis and how the medical community, uh, good, the good part of the medical community, a good doctor will actually diagnose a case by doing what's called a differential diagnosis. But the, the diagnostics procedures are meant to tell you what us- usually what is not wrong. So let's say, arguably, you don't feel well. You go to the doctor, and you say, hey, doctor, I don't feel well. He says to me, okay, Ray, what are your symptoms? I got I got this, I got that, what have you. May. He says, okay, let's start, let me listen to your heart. Let's do an EKG. Let's do some blood work and a chest x-ray. All right, so he does that. He comes back to me the next day, and he says to me, Ray, your EKG is good, thank God. Your blood work is good. Your chest X-ray is good. Everything we tested is good. So that means that wherever he looked and tested, the problem is not there. Now, so diagnostics are usually to tell you what is correct or what is right, what is not wrong, and then that's why the differential diagnosis, which I spoke about, a while few shows back uses that theory to say well if this is right this is good this is good this is good then the only thing that could create that symptom is this so if you do the black light test you usually have to pull the rocker cover off because you need to be able to get to that return line and depending upon how the injectors are the nozzles are situated and everything else it may be where you say well i know it's not leaking from the fuel return line i know it's not leaking from i know it's not leaking from the uh the lift pump then at this particular point we have two choices left in this in this instance right we either have the injection pump leaking with a bad seal right or and or we have injector cup leaking so since you have the dye in it what you could do then is remove the injection pump and i'm repeating i know none of this stuff is easy remove the or fun remove the injection pump without disturbing the the fuel and oil that's in it and then expose it to the black light once you start to remove it or take it and just pull it back a little bit loosen up the bolts and you may have to take the lines off of it and loosen up the and pull it back whatever you have to do in that application and hit it with the black light and now you see from the seal where the drive cam is then that it's leaking it's it's got the dye and you know that's where the fuel is getting into the into the oil if everything else checks good then most likely it is in the injector cup or where the injector sits into the cup or the injector being cracked itself so it is going to be a diagnostic procedure that is simple to talk about but not easy to evoke and i certainly understand that but keep in mind that if you ignore this and let it keep going with that fuel in the oil that you will be buying a new or remanufactured engine. And some of these big diesels, as you're well aware, could cost you twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. So even though it's not fun, we have to be able to address it, and we have to keep be mindful of it. You know, a lot of people say that the... Uh, 
if you want to be a successful farmer, the thing that you always need to see in your field is your shadow. You need to be there looking at your crop, and the same thing needs to happen with your equipment. It's amazing what studying things and spending a minute or two here, none of this is overly burdensome or complex to do that you need to be able to go in there, pop the hood, look under there, smell the oil, put it between your fingers, see what's going on at one particular point to do an oil analysis as part of your uh, routine maintenance schedule. They're only about 25 or $30. If it starts to see some fuel, we need to go there and check that out. Now, moving over to a gasoline engine, and then uh, I want to uh, also talk about at the end before we close today about other areas that are not leaks where that can give you give you a uh, fuel dilution problem. On the gasoline engine, whether it's carbureted or, uh, or fuel injected, we're going to have to break those apart slightly. If it's carbureted, then usually where the oil the the fuel i keep saying oil the fuel in the oil would be coming from could be a mechanical they don't call it a lift pump a mechanical fuel pump which would be the same thing and it could have a bad seal and leaking into the engine uh into the crankcase or historically it is a misadjusted carburetor that is running way too rich or a carburetor that has the choke misadjusted and is really flooding the engine with fuel when it is cold and during what we call the transition period or intermediate stage when the engine is goes from fully cold to fully warm. So that is called the intermediate stage. And that was very common years ago with uh, carburetors with misadjusted chokes. Uh, if the choke was misadjusted on an engine and you cold started, it would not drive away, it would be bulky. And I did a show on that a while back about cold start. And you could, uh, the person would sit in there idling, you write the old pickup truck with a car going to church or whatever. I'm just throwing stuff at you and it would sit and idle and it would be put the mixture would be so rich it would be on the verge of blowing black smoke out of the tailpipe puffing smoke and it possibly could be puffing smoke and that fuel in that cylinder there'd be no leakage but the air fuel ratio would be so rich there'd be so much fuel that it would go past the, the piston rings wash the oil off the cylinder wall and then the gasoline would actually end up in the oil pan and dilute the oil another thing uh, would be on an efi car if it was running too rich and or had a leaky injector that could be the same thing also would would be happening so on a gasoline car what you're basically looking for is very gasoline engine i should say whether it's on a uh seat tender whether it's on a car pickup truck or uh, anything that runs off of gasoline or lawnmower you're looking for either a leakage from a, a mechanical fuel pump that runs off the camshaft or something and has, can, has the ability to actually if the seal goes bad squirt gasoline directly into the crankcase or you would have a very rich running condition and then application specific you know that's uh, engineers term for covering all bases 
to, you know, to that particular, if it's fuel injected, you'd have to look why it's running rich. If it's carbureted, I mean, there are carbureted engines today. Hey, you buy a lawn tractor, whatever, you buy an ATV or something, it's carbureted. Uh, could be, uh, to be a chainsaw. So, um, the thing is that it's running rich and it's, in essence, you're putting too much fuel into the cylinder, into the combustion chamber, that it cannot burn it, and it is leaking past the rings. There'll be excessive ring wear because you're removing the oil from the cylinder walls, and that oil is actually, the gasoline, I keep saying oil, is dripping, I apologize, that dripping down into the crankcase and diluting the oil. So a gasoline engine, for all intents and purposes, is much easier to diagnose or find where the fuel dilution is coming from versus a larger diesel. Now, let's talk about a couple of other things going back to diesel about where this fuel can be coming from. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to break this down into uh, into probably two areas, possibly three, as I go along and discuss this, whatever I feel needs to be done to make it so that you could understand it without any visual aids. Now, let's talk about some light-duty diesels, like in pickup trucks. And the light-duty diesels in pickup trucks, some of them will say that they're not B20 compatible. And I'm a big fan of biofuels, so I, I love any type of biofuel. I think it's a great product, and it's, uh, it's, it's an excellent product and helps American agriculture and keeps America strong. But you'll look at some of the diesels, and the owner's manual say that it's not B20 compatible. A B20 or higher do not use. And the reason for that is that, and, and smaller diesel engines, let's say if anybody had a Volkswagen diesel, some years are not uh, bio B20 compatible. And what happens with those designs is that when the diesel particulate filter needs to regenerate, so that means that it needs to go and convert the soot to ash and and then again, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I have a, uh, a show on Tier 4 that I did a couple of weeks ago. When it needs to regenerate and clean itself, what it does is it, it has to put an excess amount of fuel, not combustion fuel runs the engine, into the DOC, the diesel oxidation catalyst, to act like a furnace to have its... Because the diesel oxidation catalyst comes first then the diesel particulate filter in the exhaust stream, and then after that, the um, SCR, Selective Catalytic Reduction, if it has it. So on the exhaust stroke of each cylinder, when it goes into regeneration mode, it will actually spray fuel and use the piston to push that out into the diesel oxidation catalyst to create the heat to evoke regeneration in the diesel particulate filter. It's alphabet soup, right? So, so that fuel is on the exhaust stroke. That fuel is not being used to make power. That fuel is used to actually to fuel the diesel oxidation catalyst. And the reason why they tell you that those engines are not B20 or higher compatible is that the surface tension remember we spoke about that a week or so ago in one of the shows, the dynes per centimeter, the surface tension of B20 or greater, a bio-enhanced diesel is 
is is less so it has it's it's more slippery we'll use that term in that it's in that in that sense and will leak past the piston rings on the exhaust stroke and dilute the crankcase oil so if you have a duramax they were famous for this some some power strokes some cummins that were not b20 or higher compatible that is simply because on the regeneration cycle of the dpf it's fueling the heat on the exhaust stroke and that b20 fuel is leaking past the rings into the crankcase and not only taking the oil off the cylinder wall but diluting the oil the way you could tell is that, and if you look at, let's say, like the, I'm, using, I'm a Ford guy, so I'm using new power strokes, right? It says B20 compatible. They'll have what they call an HC doser, which is a separate injector in the exhaust stream that actually sprays the diesel fuel into the diesel oxidation catalyst to create the heat to have it act like a furnace all right now on your farm equipment your semis your bigger trucks they all use what they call an hc hydrocarbon doser but the smaller engines tried to get away with it without the doser and that is why they would not be 20 or higher compatible and volkswagen did that also and don't hold me to the year at a certain break point they were b20 or higher compatible and that is simply because they installed an hc doser into the exhaust stream all right so that's very important for you to understand that and for you know all the guys who uh, love biofuels that is why so if you want to buy an engine that needs to have an hc doser and then you could use b20 or higher without any issues now the other thing that could pollute the or dilute the oil is a better term is a lot of cold starts <clears throat> that don't go through warm-up and this is for gasoline and diesel and also an excessive amount of idling or fuel injectors gasoline or diesel that are uh, in poor working order the engine may idle fine but they're dripping down and that will actually be like a dripping faucet you may still have the engine run well but over time and if and most modern engines they have extended oil changes so over time you will start to dilute the oil with fuel so keep that in mind numerous cold starts numerous short cycles you go from here to the barn shut it off go a mile shut it off go back to the farmhouse a mile shut it off go two miles shut it off on both gasoline and diesel will actually start to put fuel in the oil and dilute it so basically for a quick recap before we get into our special delivery segment is that you will you need to identify any place on a diesel engine where fuel and oil can mix the best way to do it is with a black light it's a it's it's basically a, a diagnostics of elimination if you see it no place else it's usually in the place that is that that is last so if there's three different areas the first two have no leaks that even though you can't visually see the other then that is a very good chance for possibly where your oil and gas and fuel are migrating together on a gasoline engine same thing less amount of areas you're not going to use a black light test but historically if it's not a fuel pump uh, diaphragm type fuel pump that has a connection to the engine block or crankcase then it is a rich running condition and you need to find that rich running condition and it's just as imperative for you to get 
that polluted oil, that degraded oil, and that filter out of that engine as soon as possible before you even start your diagnostics. So also, each time you check the oil, do the finger test, the hot rod farmer finger test, do the nose test, the sniff test, right? There's a pass, the sniff test. Be cognizant, keep a mental record of how the oil felt and how it smelled. And the third area that you could have a possibility of dilution is that if you have a crankcase ventilation system that is not working properly and not allowing the blow-by from that engine which is going to contain a certain level of hydrocarbons but it'll take a long time to pollute the oil blow-by to evacuate that crankcase oil pan whatever you want to call it uh, then you will start to build some fuel dilution into that oil but that's the, that's like gray hair it's going to sneak up on you uh, it's going to sneak up on you very very slowly but with these extended oil drain intervals it does become a problem most engines today whether gasoline or diesel have extended oil drain intervals and then all of these you know these issues they have very little tolerance for a crankcase ventilation system that is not working properly so as always if you have any questions on that uh please feel free to contact me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and we could open up a dialogue with it but hopefully you never have to deal with with a uh with fuel diluted oil but if you do before you go crazy and getting black lights and everything think about how that engine is operated think about how it's run let's say like if you're feeding cattle with a piece of equipment and it's not running long or it's idling has a lot of cold starts you have like an uh, a utv on your farm where you cold start it or and then go a little bit and shut it off and then start it again is that there's usually probably nothing wrong with that it's your drive cycle your what the your duty cycle your use that is causing that dilution from not having good vaporization of that fuel and going past the rings then in that particular instance what you need to do is you need to tighten up your oil drain intervals because of the particular use and that would actually in the owner's manual would be considered severe duty so a lot of cold starts a lot of short cycles are severe duty and that's on gasoline or diesel so uh so keep that in mind don't jump the gun and think that there's something wrong with the engine always look backwards to the use cycle it has but the most important thing is once you determine there's fuel dilution in anything in any type of oil you need to get it out of there and then do what i call stop and think Alrighty. so now then our special delivery segment is brought to you by firestone ag and we all know or we don't anybody who listens now knows that uh harvey firestone was a fourth generation farmer from columbiana ohio and his dream was to put the farmer on pneumatic tires and he did accomplish that he was the first person to put far to put come up with agricultural tires that had air in them and that same passion for farming and for uh, trying to help the farmer to make him more efficient still lives on today at Firestone. And with their 23-degree tread bar design and their advanced AD2 technology IF and VF tires, and now with their replacement track system. So the soil is the lifeblood of your farm, trusted only to Firestone, and I want to thank them for bringing and sponsoring this special delivery segment for you. 
Now, as I said in the beginning of the show, when I was at Commodity Classic, a person came up to me and was talking about a very expensive repair. I think it was four or $5,000 for their air conditioner system. And they said everything went bad at one time. It was a catastrophic failure. The uh, compressor blew up and uh, everything else, uh, everything was plugged and it had to be fixed and replaced and it was quite costly. And I always like to look at unnecessary repairs as... Uh, bushels of crop or whatever crop you happen to raise or livestock or milk if you're a dairyman look at it in that term and this was quite costly to this farmer but i believe as i said it wasn't a combine in a nutshell and as we get closer to the spring i am going to do a show on this but in a nutshell to answer this concisely that historically when you have a catastrophic failure in an air conditioning system in any vehicle is because that unit was never serviced and by servicing what i mean is that at a specified interval you will use a, you use a machine called an air conditioner charging station and you will remove all of the old refrigerant you then it then pulls a vacuum on the system to boil off all moisture because because water will boil at around 52 53 degrees f under a vacuum and then the system is filled up with clean new refrigerant and some refrigerant oil historically when i hear of a catastrophic failure like that that inside the ac system all right and it is usually in the accumulator or in an older system the receiver dryer there is a desiccant bag and that looks like the little bag of salt that often that looks like salt that often comes in electronics it's to absorb any moisture in the system when refrigerant and moisture mixes together to create an acid a catastrophic failure as that gentleman described to me at the firestone booth at commodity classic is 99.9 percent caused by the acid eating the desiccant bag and the desiccant material which looks like salt crystals being pumped through the whole system and the ac compressor basically is a little engine it's got a crankshaft it's got a piston it may have a camshaft in it or reed valves like a uh, like a two-stroke and it pumps that into the engine the ac compressor which is an engine and then it pumps it through the whole system and you have and then the compressor itself starts to come apart inside because of the lack of lubricity and the abrasiveness of the the desiccant and that comes apart and puts more material into the system and then this material goes through and plugs the orifice valve and just does anything it would be akin to putting dirt a, a cup full of dirt into an engine or into a hydraulic system and that basically is in essence what happened to that person uh, the desiccant bag if it is not exposed to acid is designed to probably outlast the vehicle but all bets are off when it is exposed to acid how long it will take to to be to eat through and then and remember that damage is done when that that combine is in a shed that damage is done because that acid is in that system and eating that bag so how do you basic so sadly he had to fix this <clears throat> the most important thing is that you clean out the system that the person repairing it cleans out specifically the accumulate the the uh the uh condenser and the evaporator because you don't want the desiccant to be sitting in there 
then you'll fix it and you'll still have some abrasive material in it and everything most likely the whole system needs to be replaced uh, meaning the compressor, the orifice valve, the accumulator or receiver dryer. The difference between accumulator and receiver dryer is which side of the system it's on. The old systems had the desiccant. The old systems, as I said, had the desiccant on the uh, the high side, which was the thinner line, and then the uh, newer systems have the desiccant on the low side, which is the bigger line. But the same thing happens. And uh, the way you avoid this is every two or three years you need to have the air conditioner serviced it's like changing oil on an engine it could still be blowing ice cubes out of the vents but you need to have it serviced and you pump it down remove the old refrigerant boil off any moisture fill it up refriger with refrigerant and the proper amount of oil and then that will not happen so sadly and that happens to a lot of farmers with their with their farm equipment with their with their trucks with everything because people do not service air conditioner systems but when it bites you it bites you really hard and like I say, please look at that, and whatever commodity you raise, look at that repair. And I think this gentleman said it cost him five or six thousand dollars to fix this, so that's uh, that's very very expensive. And I would rather see that was totally unnecessary because if he would have spent a hundred or two hundred dollars every three or four years, then he would have most likely avoided this problem. I'd rather see you put that into fertility, into into genetics, into anything else, but an unnecessary air conditioner repair. And that's really what this show and my website is all about stopping that so listen you guys have a great week i want to thank you so much for listening to my show and next week what we're going to be talking about is stress in metals so we're all stressed and every metal piece that you have on the farm has stress in it so we're going to be discussing that in length uh in great detail so listen have a blessed week and know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved america bye bye and have a safe and productive week 